The Courage to Lead, episode 139. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Neelam Sharma. Neelam Sharma is an engaging and effective certified professional coach through the Institute of Professional Excellence in Coaching, and she's an associate credentialed coach through the International Coaching Federation. She's experienced at working with all levels of an organization from the front line to the C-suite leaders. With many years of experience in the corporate world, including over 20 years as a talent development consultant, Neelam has a deep understanding of what it takes for individuals to succeed in a demanding business environment. Her extensive experience as a leadership and executive coach, as well as her intuitive and motivating style, make her an especially valuable asset to your team. Neelam, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. No, no, it's absolutely my pleasure to have you on. I, this is, I've been looking forward to this interview and stuff because we have uh, a lot of things in common, but you are, I, I would say, I mean, you're more credentialed than I am. You have a lot more hands-on experience with this. My background is organizational change management on a consulting side, management consulting. Mm-hmm. But the part that I really enjoyed was working with the leadership team, helping them understand the changes they were going through and their, their uh, employees were going through, how to communicate that change and lead their people through the change, right? And I really loved helping them to be better communicators and better leaders. And you've got a lot more experience than that. So I want to kind of pick your brain as we go through. Um, so you've got a bachelor's degree in package design. Now I've talked to lawyers and, and doctors and government officials on the program where they said they grew up knowing that that's what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up knowing you wanted to be in package design? Did I grow up knowing I wanted to design boxes? No. <laughs> Oddly, How I did didn't. that happen? Did, was that just something you that you found or something you found you? It's interesting. I uh, So my father wanted to uh, make sure that I went and looked at colleges before I applied to them. So between my junior and senior year in high school, we went on college tour. And we passed a college on the highway. We saw a sign for it, Rochester Institute of Technology. Never heard of it. But my dad was like, hey, why don't we go check that out? It's right here. So I said, technology, I I don't want to do that. But we did. And I heard about a new program at that school, package design. And it sort of answered uh, needs for me because I wanted to be a graphic designer. And my father, who said, but you have to make a living. (laughs) So package design, you know, actually the dean gave me a a book to read about it. And I read it and it seemed a great blend of engineering and uh, design. So it was it was a really great find. We found each other, I guess. Yeah, very cool. And have you been able to apply some of the learnings from that in the coaching work you do? Well, you know, I worked as a package designer for 10 years or so. And so I have a lot of experience in manufacturing from the floor, um, you know, because I had to go out onto the manufacturing Mm -hmm. floor for the the boxes, but also the customers. So I learned all kinds of stuff about how things are made 
And since I'm insatiably curious, that was a great job for me. Um, and so I've, I actually have used some of that experience, seeing what it's like to work in that kind of job in the coaching I do now, for awesome. sure. And I'm, I'm a geek when it comes to oh, uh, walking manufacturing geek. floors. Oh, because I work at Lockheed Aircraft. We've been on tours at the Boeing facility, uh, Harley-Davidson facility. We've been, I just love it. I just love yeah. the whole manufacturing. All right, enough about that. All right, let's. Uh, I want to talk about all this stuff and a lot of other things. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I want to ask you. These are questions that I ask every one of my guests. Uh, questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from... TV film stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're more than good enough for my guests. So I have 10 questions for you. Are you ready? I am. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? I would say my favorite word is hope. Okay. Very nice. What is your least favorite word? You know, I struggle with that, but I would say maybe the opposite of hope, despair. What turns you on? Well, we've already talked about the geek thing. So it's the <laughs> new ideas, learning new things. I get really jazzed about that. Great. And what turns you off? I think maybe people who accept the status quo without any kind of pushback. Absolutely. Um, what sound or noise do you love? flowing water. So, you know, I was going to say the beach, but I love the water anywhere and just the sound of it. Nice. And what sound or noise do you hate? Uh, leaf blowers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Heard one this morning. <laughs> uh, seems like every time I turn on the microphone, they're right outside the window for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, what is your favorite curse word? I have, uh, you know, a safe for work a curse word. Uh, I, I, it's actually a phrase, son of a biscuit. It works really well, and I can say it anywhere. And people know exactly what you mean, right? Exactly. Perfect. All right. Question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I always thought I, I would like to be an archaeologist. Mm. Uh, you know, the history and the, the mystery, I guess. Absolutely. Very cool. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Accountant. Now, you know, I know and love accountants. Uh, my brother was one, but I just, I'm not built for that. <laughs> I can line up all the numbers. That's about the yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. All right. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Good job. Good job. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Well, hey, I want to come back. I want to talk more about uh, how you got your start, your degrees and everything like that, how they influenced uh, where you are, the transition into your coaching, leadership coaching and executive coaching, and some of the things you're, you're seeing out there, how you're helping these executives. Um, and at some point, we'll transition into courage and leadership. Okay. All right. So we will talk about all of that and more right after this. So listeners, stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back 
and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine any more. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Neelam Sharma. Thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. This is uh, awesome. And uh, I've been looking forward to the, the conversation. So uh, you've got a master of science in HR development. How did you get into HR? Is that something transitioning from you're, you're working with um, in the packaging design and, and manufacturing? Yes. As a matter of fact, I was in design at a company and I kind of got to the point where I thought, well, I'm never going to be great at this. I was good. I could keep a job, you know, I could satisfy the customer, but I was never going to be just excellent because I was surrounded by people who were, I could tell. And I wanted to be excellent at something. And so I started looking around and learning and development was something I was really interested in. I had done some training for the design department. And I was very fortunate that the company that I worked for gave me a, a chance to work nice. in that field, even though I had no education or background in mm. it. So then I got the job <laughs> and I thought, well, I should maybe figure out how to do this. And so <laughs> I went and got my master's in human resource development. Excellent. Excellent. And then at what point did you transition into coaching? Yeah. So I worked in the corporate environment for most of my career. Mm -hmm. And I also became, this will become relevant in a minute. I also became a yoga teacher. Okay. And so I teach yoga I have taught yoga for more than a dozen years and I decided I wanted to quit my job and, you know, do teach yoga and be a coach. So I quit my job and I started about eight years ago and I started, uh, I got my certification as a coach. And so I started to build a life as a a leadership coach and a consultant. Very cool. Good stuff. And, uh, your clients, where do you find your clients? Do you look for them or do they find you? Well, you know, it's a, it's a, I was just thinking about that this morning, as a matter of fact, that mo- almost all of my work comes from referrals. Nice. And so people find me through other people who know me. And this, you know, I started to network as part of my becoming an, an entrepreneur, I learned that one of the things that you need to do is go out and meet people and plant seeds. And it took a while for seeds to develop and now they're popping up everywhere. So that's, that's mainly how I get my clients. Absolutely. And I think people in networking, they think, oh, if I go out and talk to people, they're going to hand me their paycheck or they're going (laughs) to hand me their checkbook or something. And it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Like you said, you have to build those relationships. It takes some time. And, uh, you know, I've talked to people and it could be two years down the road that they come back up and go, hey, didn't you mention? It's like, well, yes, I did. You know. Yes. And, and mostly, you know, a lot of times it's not even them. They refer other people. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll say, oh, yes, I know someone who can help you with that and connect us. You know, so it's, yes. it's a magical thing almost because it nice. feels like it comes out of nowhere, but you know exactly. it doesn't. Yeah. No, it's uh, the work pays off right? Eventually. So, and you're a facilitator. 
So yes. tell me about some of the companies you've worked with and what type of things you facilitate for them. Well, so I have done work with a lot of um, tech companies since I came out of corporate uh, from the manufacturing world. So I did a lot in manufacturing. I facilitated a lot of workshops, a lot of training, learning kind of things, and meetings. I also designed meetings. Yeah. And then I came out and I ended up with a, a lot of clients in the tech world. And I started to design group coaching for, uh, I did some group coaching design for Adobe, for Uber, and it was through another company. And so um, it, it has been really an interesting journey to go from manufacturing to tech. Yeah. They, it's two different worlds, but mm -hmm. there are so many similarities. It's interesting. Absolutely. And do you prefer small groups or large groups when you're facilitating? You know, I get my, I get my energy from both. I yeah. love the small group experience because it, it can be, you can connect one-to-one, -one, but the way that I do the large group facilitation, I make sure that there is a connection, even if it's a, I've, I've worked in rooms of over a hundred people and still feel that connection with individuals in the room. So I, I, I love both. I can't choose. Don't make yeah. me pick. <laughs> Don't make you pick. But I, I love it too. When you're up in front of a group and you, you're talking, you're giving a presentation or you're doing some corporate type training and you see the light bulbs go off, you yes. see the, you know, their, their eyes light up like, Oh, I finally understand it. That's cool. That's, that's hard to replicate. Yeah. Love that. Um, so you work with executives, um, small businesses and also nonprofits, right? That's right. As you work with them, what are you, what are you seeing? What are they? What are they missing? What are they struggling with? It is so interesting, and this is the same uh, kind of thing I was alluding to with manufacturing and tech being so different but the same. It, it's the managers who have issues with communication, so mm -hmm. challenges with communication. I would say nine out of 10 times, it comes back down to that. No matter what the presenting problem is, it comes down to how, how they are talking to people who work for them, how they are talking to people who are in their direct line above them, or their peers or stakeholders. Hmm. And communication is a broad term, but I think it, it encompasses things like giving feedback, it amazes me how far up the ladder people get without understanding how to do that and avoiding it mostly. And things like managing conflict between team members, that also is all about communication and being clear about expectations. So, so many things within the communication realm. And I even teach, right now I'm working on a contract for teaching a manager and her team how to do presentations about yes. and talk about their team and what they do, because what they do is kind of nobody knows. Hmm. <laughs> and so explaining what they do to other people. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, my wife uh, says all the time that communication is an away game. It's not what you say, it's what they hear right? I love that. Yeah. And if, if they yeah. misinterpret something, it's not their fault that they misinterpret it. It's yours, right? You have to be able to communicate. And so many managers that I know, they, they don't communicate well. They don't communicate 
um, early enough. You know, they wait until the last minute and say, oh, by the way, we're changing everything. You know, Monday when you come into work, it's going to be different. It's like it's, it's too late at that point. Right. That communication line has to be open all the time. So, wow. Right. Yeah, and presentations, definitely. That's something uh, I've sat through my share of PowerPoint slides. <laughs> presentations can be painful. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so in your bio, I, I also read that uh, your energy leadership index. Tell me about that. What is that? How does that work? Yeah. So that's through the coaching school I went through and the energy leadership index talks about seven levels of energy. And this isn't energy the way that it's usually described. It isn't being energetic. That isn't what we're talking about. It's an approach to life. Hmm. So, and none of the levels are bad. There are anabolic and catabolic. So, so anabolic meaning they give you energy, they provide energy, okay. and catabolic, they take away energy. Okay. So you can be, you know, in the lower levels and, and it serves you, but how long you stay there is the choice mm -hmm. that you make. So yes, sometimes bad things happen. And you have to feel that. And, you know, this is my yoga work coming in. Don't deny the, the emotion, work with it. But how long do you want to be in that space? Uh, so the, the levels one and two are really about being more passive in level one and being the victim at the effect of things that happen to you. Level two is more um, energetic, but not maybe in a, you know, terribly productive way all the time. So this is where maybe you get angry and that gets you off the couch. And, and so that's good, but yeah. you don't want to be angry all the time. That, right. that doesn't help you. So the, the other energy levels are about how you relate with people and how you uh, present yourself to the world and yeah. work with the world. So from a leadership standpoint, that would, that would make a lot of sense. I think that would be helpful, right? Because there are things that can energize you and things that can, you know, bring you down and you have to understand what those things are and, and acknowledge that you're in one of those energy fields at that time and how to get yes. back out of it. Right. Yes. Uh, and because, you know, as you, you know, you work with leaders that when a leader walks into the office, well, when we were walking into offices, right. I mean, people are doing it now more, but you know, the minute they enter a space, people are taking cues from them and how they present themselves can set the tone for mm -hmm. the whole team for the whole day. So, so, you know, back in the day, if you were dealing with traffic on the way to work and you get to work and you were just you know, irritated about the traffic, which happens a lot in mm -hmm. Atlanta where I live. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and you walk in all irritated and angry looking and people are immediately thinking, what did I do? Is there, are we going to get fired? Is there something happening? You know? And so it, it just affects the whole atmosphere. So mm -hmm. it, it, it behooves us as leaders to understand that and, be able to work with it basically. Yeah. But like you said, don't fight it. It's, it's natural. Right. It happens. Understand yes. that it's happening and how to get out. Cause I, I think it, it, uh, similar to grief, a lot of people don't want to deal with grief. You have to go through that process. You know, yes. you have to understand that you are going through that process and kind of work with it and, and get out. Right. 
Yeah, and I think what happens, you know, and I, I, I've worked with clients and, and talked to them about, we can deny our emotions all day long, but guess what? They'll come back <laughs> and they may come back at an inconvenient time for you. But I think what happens is that we, well, when I was in the corporate world, especially in manufacturing, it was, you, you didn't acknowledge those emotions and it was, you were kind of told, leave all that stuff at the door right. and just present your logical, rational self here at work. Well, we know that's not even true. You can't right. and nobody does. Hmm. So being able to acknowledge you have the emotion and to, this is what emotional intelligence is all about, yes. right? Yep. And so I think denying that emotion does nobody any good in the exactly. long term. Exactly. And we talk about that in, in the courage, you know, the intellectual courage, the ability to set aside your, your long held beliefs, the knowledge, the old knowledge you have to make room for new knowledge um, and the empathetic courage to understand that people are going through these things, allow that, right. Make, make space for that, make room for that. Yes, so, absolutely. Um, so uh, talking on, on leadership, if I was to bump into any of your colleagues or your former uh, employees or, or, or friends and talk to them about you and your leadership style, what do you think they'd tell me? What kind of leader are you? I am a collaborative leader. I truly believe the wisdom is in the people around you. And this works really great with coaching, you know, because a lot of coaches we talk about, we believe our clients are whole, creative, and resourceful. Mm -hmm. And that, that is how I lead as well. And that, that I hope to present that way in the world, uh, you know, and be less about judgment and more about honoring that people have, they know stuff, you sure. know, let's, let's work together. They know more than I do. I may know no, more than they do about one thing, but they'll know as a group, mm -hmm. uh, a whole lot more than, than I could ever know. Yeah, so working think, collaboratively. And I think leaders, a lot of times they, they miss that point that you don't have to know everything about everything. Mm -hmm. You have to surround yourself with people who know those things. Right. right. Um, and then I run a mastermind group. You've probably been part of masterminds before. That's the, the, one of the benefits of the mastermind is you have an idea somebody else has their idea and suddenly those two merge and you come up with a, a third idea, you know, even better than both of you could have done on your own. That's and that's right. really, yeah, that collaboration. Yeah. And it's a gift, I think, to be able to work collaboratively with, and frankly, that was something I missed be coming out here on my own out in the wild, you know, so I've had, I've had to create my own groups of collaborators mm -hmm people who I can bounce ideas off of and, and think things through with and, and use as sounding boards uh, for myself as well. Absolutely. So did you learn this uh, leadership collaborative style from someone? Is there somebody you worked with in the past that kind of um, emulated or illustrated that, that type of leadership style? I did, you know, I didn't work for him, but I worked very closely with him and he was the, the vice president of Six Sigma at the, nice. the company I worked for. Okay. And he was very data-driven, which was, of course, a great, uh, great characteristic for a Six Sigma leader. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I admired about him, if you talked to anybody 
who's ever worked for him, they would work for him again in an instant. I mean, there are not a lot of people you could say that about. Mm -hmm. And the reason was that he made you do your best work. And he, he really trusted, he, he found experts and then he trusted that they knew what they were talking about. So he worked with the team, you know, it was, and you felt so empowered. You felt stressed because, you know, he usually was pushing you to do things you'd never done before. And then you can come out the other side and you're like, wow, I did that, you know, and it, look at it, it's new and it's beautiful. So I, I aspire to that still. Nice. That is awesome though. Very cool. Um, and so uh, when you're working with the, the leaders you work with, what do you, what do you look for in them or, or what do you help them achieve? Like, are you looking for the collaborative type leaders um, or are you looking for maybe something else that they're, they're missing that you could help them with? What is that? Yeah. Well, you know, as a coach, I try not to have any bright ideas. Okay. So <laughs> my, my goal as a coach is to go into the relationship open. And I, I, I talk about this as a superpower, but I have a superpower that doesn't require a cape, although I, maybe I will get one. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's about seeing patterns. Okay. So I listen. Um, I'm, I'm a very good listener, as most coaches are. And I hear patterns in what they say. So over time, I'll start to see patterns in behavior or patterns of mindset. And so we're looking, my, my goal as a coach is always to help them be the best person they can be, the best leader they can be, the way they see leadership. Yeah. So I have ideas of what leadership looks like to me, but I would not impose those on someone else. If there are, let's call them fatal flaws, we'll talk about those. Right. But I, I go into it open to what presents and nice. then start to see patterns. And I see my job as a coach to point those out. Nice. So you meet them where they are, yes. determine what it is, where, what are they trying to achieve? And then help them yes. find that path to achieve. Nice. Right. And I often talk about it as, you know, people think of coaching like it's mentoring. So when I first start working with a client, I'll say, so a mentor will stand ahead of you on the path and say, and point and say, this is the way I went. Go this way. It will work for you. A coach walks that path with you, lets you find the path. And keeps you on it. So, you know, if you start to veer off that path, a coach will gently bring you back to where you said you wanted to go. Yeah. And that's what I found with a lot of leaders. They, they're off track somehow, and they're mm. not sure exactly why things aren't working, right? They're doing everything. They're working hard. They're putting the hours in. Things just aren't quite working. It's like, well, where is it you want to be? Mm. Well, I'm not sure. Okay, well, that's Clue number one, <laughs> you know, right. you know, because you you need to know where it is you're heading, and then the path you want to take to get there, right? Um, I'm a private pilot, so I a lot of times talk in terms of flying. Um, the the flight 
plan that we submit if we're flying anywhere outside of the area. Where are you now? Where do you want to be? How do you plan to get there? And the checkpoints along the way. At mm-hmm. so many minutes into the flight at this altitude of this airspeed, you should see a water tower, a bridge, whatever it happens to be. If you do, you know you're on track. If you don't, then it's time to, to get back to, to wherever you are. And a lot of businesses, I just I don't think they take the time to set their uh, annual goals, their long-term goals of where they want to mm-hmm. go. And they don't really put together a plan on how to get there. And I think, I think that planning is, is what is missing a lot of times. It is. And in this time of exponential change, you can see why people are hesitant. But as you said, if you, if you have no goal in mind, no, no destination, then any path is going to get you there. Right. Right. So you don't know where, how to, how to actually intentionally walk a path. Yeah. So, yeah. And that cascades all the way down to individual contributors. Mm-hmm. So if the company has no strategy, the company has no destination, how do we know as individual contributors what we're supposed to be doing that will yeah. be of benefit to the company? Right. How do we remain engaged if we don't know where we're going? Exactly. And that's where that frustration comes in, right? We talk about frustration as being the difference between expectation and reality. I expected this, here's where I am. And yeah, I'm frustrated with it. Um, Yeah, not knowing exactly what they want. Um, I had one client years ago that I asked him, what is is your goal this year? And he goes, I just want to make more money than I made last year. Hmm. So I handed him a dollar. (laughs) Done. He goes, that's not what I meant. Well, then tell me exactly what it is you want. You know, don't be, let's get specific about it. And I I think that's, that's part of it. Yeah. Get those plans together. Yeah. And, and, you know, I find that um, although a lot of people talk about money as a motivator, as long as, you know, all things are equal, you're being paid a fair wage, money is not the motivator. It's always something that you're going to get with the money or that you're going to get because you have money. You know, it isn't about the money, really. No. Uh, rarely is it about the money. I had a guy tell me the other day, he had a couple of clients or a couple uh, employees quit and go work for his competitor because they were getting a dollar more an hour. And I told him, you know, they didn't leave for that dollar. And he said, well, that's what they told me. Said, yeah, they didn't leave for the dollar. They right. left because of you or the culture you've created in your business. You know, yes. people don't leave just for the money. There's something that, that pushes them out. Yes. It, 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 there's something that makes them go looking. Yeah. And then if they get more money, sure, that's a yeah. bonus, right? You know. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and we we could probably have a whole conversation about motivators, because um, you're right. Money is not the biggest motivator. There are different things that entice people, or, or um, th- talk about their currency. It could be time off. It could be recognition. It could be money. It could be all those things. I think one of the biggest motivators is fear. Mm. It's not the money. It's the fear that you won't get the money you deserve or somebody else will get the money you think you deserve. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about the, uh, the promotion. It's about the fear of not getting promoted or someone else getting promoted or something like that. I think it all comes down to that, that fear. That's what drives most of the things we do. A lot of, yeah. So, you know, I work with my clients on values and I do a values assessment with them and okay. it's eye opening for most people because mm-hmm. if I asked you right now, well, not you because you're a coach, but someone else. <laughs> if 
you know, do you have values? You, you'd say, well, sure, of course I have values. But if I asked you specifically, what is your top value? You, you might have a harder time coming up with that. And I think once we get through that assessment and they come up with their top two values, then we talk about how much of that value is fear-based, how much of it is moving away from something because you're afraid or moving towards something because you're excited, Right. you know? And so a value can have, it's a double-edged sword. Is yeah. it from fear? Exactly. And that doesn't mean it's bad. It's just be aware and yeah. know that this is where you're operating from. Exactly. Yeah. And the away from um, will get you moving. Yeah. But it won't keep you moving. Ah, At some right. point, you need to switch over to that towards, right? To keep yes. you propelled forward. Um, yeah. I, when I work with my clients, that's one of the first things we start with is the, the core values, because as individuals, our, every decision we make is based on our core values. Well, same thing in business. Your business has a set of core values that you're working towards. You make your business decisions based on those core values. You have to share those with the employees because if they don't know what the core values are, who knows what they're using to make their decisions? They could be in front of a customer and make a decision that goes totally against the grain. You know? Yes. So I think you need to right. instill those in the employees. Wow. Yeah, we could go on about this stuff. Um <laughs> Courage. Let's talk about courage. Um, you decided to, I mean, expand and go into the HR side and training, right? In the corporate world. And then you made the decision to go leave corporate America and kind of start your own coaching consulting business. That could be scary for some people. Um, where did you find the courage to step out and create your own success? Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> Thanks. I'm a professional. So. <laughs> see that. So, you know, it's funny. In the moment, I did not feel courageous. I did not feel brave. I was scared. You know, I, uh, I grew up with a corporate dad, and it was instilled in me that you should get a steady job, hence the package design instead of graphic design, and, and stay there. You know, and I, I think I got to a point, as with most changes, I think there was a pain point for me where the work was not fulfilling the way it had been. And I looked out to the future and thought, is this the way I want to feel for the rest of my life, my working life? And the answer was no. And I, I was married at the time and there was some, you know, pushback as in, in a partnership. Um, and, you know, I did it anyway, uh, the whole time thinking, oh, I'm crazy. What am I thinking? And I will say that that step out was the best thing I ever did for myself. I have grown as a person, grown as a professional in, in ways I never could have imagined if I hadn't taken that step. And when I look back, I've taken a lot of steps like that in my life. And I, every time I'm afraid, I'm, I'm not brave and I do it anyway. And, but and that's then what I courage see, is. That's what courage is, is being afraid and doing it 
because it's the right thing to do or because you know you you have to for whatever reason that's really what courage is um is there somebody you can think about in your past that emulated that type of courage or demonstrated that type of courage that maybe you said yeah so and so did it i can do it you know i have seen people around me who have demonstrated courage like that and i <laughs> Maybe you don't want to hear this, but I actually had the opposite reaction. Say, I could never do that. You know, hmm. that is amazing that they would do that. And I, you know, I need my security and my safety. And my, but apparently I don't. So, <laughs> and that's one of the big things I learned actually being out here is that I, I don't need as much safety and security as I thought I did. And there is some sort of growth that happens when you're not sure what happens next. Yeah. And it's now, now I would not go back, you know, never say never, but right. I can imagine sure. going back because this is, this feels like what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, there, there, I've talked to a lot of people on the podcast that they say, Oh, that wasn't courageous. You know, I just, I just did it. It's like, well, maybe you didn't feel like it was courageous, but somebody from the outside watching you had that same reaction. Wow. I don't think I could ever do that. You know, that, so, uh, and we, we influence people, whether we know it or not, whether we see it or not, you know, there's something that you've done that somebody saw that at some point in their lives, they're going to go, you know what, if she did it, I can do it. Well, I will tell you when I, got ready to leave my corporate job. I started telling people, you know, turned in my resignation, started telling people. And I cannot tell you how many people said, wow, I wish I could do that. Yeah. And every time I said, well, you can, you know, it may look different for you, but mm -hmm. you also can do it because if I can do it, <laughs> <laughs> Anybody can do it. Absolutely. Anybody. Yeah. And I think it's just like you said, it's taking that step and realizing, okay, that wasn't that bad. Right. You, know? you can always go was, back. Or it was bad. Or it was and bad. I'm, I'm, I dealt with it anyway, you yeah. know, and I, I came out the other side, a better person, a stronger person. Absolutely. And it's those experiences that, that help us, especially as coaches, the, the more you experience, the easier it is then for you to relate to the people you're working with. That's right. That's right. I think I can relate to people in a whole different way, my clients in particular, in a whole different way than I ever could have before, because I didn't understand. You can't, you can empathize, you can sympathize, but you can't truly understand unless you've been through something. Yeah. You know, maybe not the same thing, yeah. but something. Absolutely. So uh, talking about, you know, the types of courage and, and the leadership um, folks that you work with and stuff like that. What do you see in them? Are, are they, where do they show courage or where do you see that maybe they, they need to get courage and how do you help them? Yeah. You know, I admire my clients for, you know, so many of them, they want to do the best for their teams. I hear that over and over and it gives me hope. My favorite word, hope gives me hope in, in people because they are doing their best for their folks. And I think it requires courage to keep going back. And it requires courage to know that 
I don't know everything and that I maybe do need a coach. I need someone to help me see, to help me see the patterns, to understand the patterns and do something about them. And I do admire their courage to keep going back and keep trying to be better. That I think that is a courageous thing. And where maybe they don't have courage, it's not, it's not that they don't, they're not brave. Maybe they don't know how to be brave in that particular instance. So I see this a lot with having difficult conversations. You know, yeah. we oh, all yeah. at some level want to be liked, I guess. And it's hard to, to have a conversation with somebody on your team to, to say, you know, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, whatever that might be. And to set them on a different path. Right. People will avoid it. I, I have seen, <laughs> seen senior VPs just, you know, go out and do all these great things in the world and then come to you and say, well, I just don't want to have to ha say this to this guy, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. really. So I think it's more that they don't know how rather than a lack of, of courage. Yeah. Yeah. Working with one of my clients, we're putting a lot of um, uh, role definitions, you know, for their business. If you're in this role, here's what we expect from you. Mm -hmm. That makes those conversations a little bit easier because then you're talking about the specific expectation, right? You didn't yes. meet this expectation. Here's what I expect to see from you going forward. I think that helps a lot, but you're right. There are tough conversations to have productivity, attendance, you know, attitude, whatever. Mm -hmm. What I found though, is a lot of times the leader has probably had those types of conversations with people in the past. So they understand, they know the script. The person you're talking to has probably had that same conversation from other, you know, <laughs> bosses in the past. So they understand, they, they know the script. I think the, the dangerous conversations are when you come in with things like, how are you doing? You yes. have no idea where that's going. When that's the person right. is down, when the person is not productive and you say, so how, how's everything going? You know, you don't know where it's going to go and you have to be able to that empathetic courage. What's, what's best for them. Set aside your, you know, feelings and emotions and stuff, allow them space for theirs and put yourself in their space. What does this feel like? What is it like for them? And how can I help them get through this? You know? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's the uncertainty of, what is going to come back at you when you say, how are you doing? And, you know, being afraid of not being able to deal with it. And I think being a, that truly is courage to be, to provide a space for other people to be able to be themselves and to have that emotion, to, ha to have that authenticity with you, to be able to say really how they're doing. Yeah. 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 So we talk about empathetic courage, right? Having the, the courage to allow that space for them. Um, uh, social courage, saying what needs to be said, even if it's unpopular. Um, mm -hmm. The moral courage, doing what's right, even if it's unpopular. Is there a type of courage you think is easiest or comes easiest for you? Well, I think this goes all the way back to the whole geek thing is that intellectual courage of, of you know, if I hear something that doesn't sound true or right, it's almost a compulsion 
for me to, and you know, I have to work on that because it isn't always appropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So being able to talk about, and, and I think for me, it melds into that. I think, is it social courage? The where, where you know, where you see something wrong mm-hmm. and feel like you have to say something, you can't mm-hmm. let it go. And I think they blend for me. So yeah. those, those I think are, are easier for me. Yeah. See the intellectual is big for me. I, I love learning new things. I love watching um, documentaries. I love watching the, how is it made, you know, type shows to see the manufacturing process. My wife and I will sit here watching TV and we've got our laptop out looking up. Ooh, what is that word? Ooh, what does that mean? <laughs> right. To, Cause I want to know, I, I, I like learning new things. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a type of courage you think that is more difficult for you? Well, um, not, not really. I haven't, I haven't run into a situation where I felt like, oh, I wish I had, you know, blank kind of courage. I'm sure it's happened, yeah. but it does not come to mind. And it, it's funny that I would say that considering I said, before that I didn't consider myself courageous, <laughs> just, you know, at the end of my rope and ready yeah. to, to jump. So. Yeah. yeah. I, we find courage when we need it, right. It, it comes up and you may, you may just get through the situation and kind of look back and go, wow, <laughs> how did I survive that? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, that happens. Yes. So what's next for you? You've, you've done a lot. You've accomplished a lot. Um, What's on the horizon? I love what I'm doing now, and I hope to do it in bigger arenas, not huge arenas as far as, you know, a a big uh, uh, arena itself. It's just I'd like to have more of an effect in the world and move beyond where I am now. So I do a lot of individual work, which I love. I'd like to do more group work. And right. so doing more group coaching, doing more facilitation, doing consulting in places that I haven't been yet. And to satisfy some of that insatiable curiosity, learn sure. new industries. Uh, so if I were able to just learn new stuff every day for the rest of my life, I would be very happy. Awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm with you. Perfect. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? What's your website? My, I have a very creative website, uh, neelamsharmacoaching.com. <laughs> Perfect. Easy to remember. That's good. That's right. That's right. Um, and so going through the website um, and also LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and people have reached out through to me through that as well. Very good. Do you have any current programs that you run for the general public or are you still just working mainly businesses? I'm still working with businesses and I'm actually working. I'm in talks, shall we say, with some other people uh, talking about what we could do together collaboratively. Um, That's more open to the public, but nothing yet. Okay. Excellent. Well, I will have those links in the show notes to your website and to your LinkedIn profile. So if people want uh, to reach out to you or ask questions or something like that, they can. Um, Thanks again for being on the on the podcast. I really appreciated this and had great conversation. It was, it was really fun. 
thank yeah. you. Thank you for inviting me. Nothing to be afraid of, right? Courageous. No. no, this is good. Right. A lot of good information. Listeners, hope you guys were taking a lot of notes. A lot of good information here. Make sure you check out uh, the website, uh, neelamsharmacoaching.com, right? Or find her right. on LinkedIn. Those will be in the show notes. And share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues. Um, and stick around because there's always more coming. And that's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. 